The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ahola, the elder, and Aholibah, her sister. They were mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem is Aholibah. Ahola played the harlot, even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted, with all their idols, she defiled herself. She has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt. For in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters and slew her with a sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. Now, although her sister Aholibah saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and rulers clothed most gorgeously, horsemen, riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled. Both took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, girded with belts around their waists, flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like captains in the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. As soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted for them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Then the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their immorality. So she was defiled by them and alienated herself from them. She revealed her harlotry and uncovered her nakedness. Then I alienated myself from her as I had alienated myself from her sister. Yet she multiplied her harlotry in calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she lusted for her paramours, whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Thus you call to remembrance the lewdness of your youth. When the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breasts, therefore a holy Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up your lovers against you, from whom you have alienated yourself, and I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians, all the Chaldeans, Pekod, Shoah, Koah, all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, governors and rulers, captains and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. They shall come against you with chariots, wagons, and war horses, with a horde of people 
They shall array against you buckler, shield, and helmet all around. I will delegate judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. I will set my jealousy against you, and they shall deal furiously with you. They shall remove your nose and your ears, and your remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and your daughters, and your remnant shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewelry. Thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry brought from the land of Egypt so that you will not lift your eyes to them nor remember Egypt anymore. For thus says the Lord God, surely I will deliver you into the hand of those you hate, into the hand of those from whom you alienated yourself. They will deal hatefully with you Take away all you have worked for and leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your harlotry shall be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. I will do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot after the Gentiles, because you have become defiled by their idols. You have walked in the way of your sister. Therefore, I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink of your sister's cup, the deep and wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision. It contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink and drain it. You shall break its shards and tear at your own breasts. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Within a marriage, there is perhaps no sin that is more difficult to forgive than the sin of adultery. Husbands and wives are able to forgive and forget many things, but adultery is extremely difficult to forgive and forget. It is devastating. The shock of betrayal and broken trust can feel similar to the shock of the death of someone close to us. The person we trusted the most has deceived us. In the Word of God, adultery is viewed as a very serious offense. How is it punished in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. Leviticus 20, verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. In our modern world, this Old Testament language sounds crazy. The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death? Really? You must be kidding. The reality and offensiveness of sin is not taken very seriously in our culture. 
One Christian counselor wrote, I quote, We don't commit adultery anymore. We have affairs. Adultery sounds harsh and ugly and destructive. An affair sounds kind of gentle and nice and almost acceptable. We've softened the concept of sin. Brothers and sisters, even though we have softened the concept of sin, the pain of adultery remains real and crushing. In the sight of God, the marriage bond is extremely important and must be guarded. Hebrews 13:4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Unfaithfulness is displeasing to him and will be judged by him. And it brings much pain and heartache to a relationship. Well, congregation, we have already seen from earlier chapters of Ezekiel how the Lord speaks of his relationship with Israel as that of a marriage. He entered into a covenant with his people. God was the loving husband and Israel was his bride. But sadly, the bride was unfaithful to the bridegroom. She turned to other lovers and broke the covenant. She did not treasure the love of her benevolent and all-satisfying husband. Today, from Ezekiel 23, we see once again how the Lord uses this comparison to impress upon the people of Israel the seriousness of their sin. This portion of Scripture is an extended metaphor depicting the offensive conduct of both the northern kingdom of Israel as well as the southern kingdom of Judah. It contains some of the most graphic language in the Bible when it comes to sexual imagery. No doubt the language of chapter 23 was offensive and shocking to those who first heard Ezekiel's words. It's a dirty, crude, in-your-face story. It would have raised many eyebrows and offended many listeners when it was first told. But of course, that was the Lord's intention, wasn't it? That was the whole purpose of this extended metaphor. God wanted His people to know how offended He was by their unfaithfulness. He told Ezekiel to tell this story to clearly and firmly proclaim the disgusting sins of God's people. If they thought this story was crude, then they will be forced to consider God's reaction to the story of their life. And so today we want to focus our thoughts on Ezekiel 23, Ahola and Aholaba, adulterous sisters. First, the sisters are introduced in verses 1 through 4. Second, Ahola's infidelity in verses 5 through 10. And third, Aholaba's infidelity in verses 11 to 35. The first four verses introduce two sisters, evil and perverse sisters. Ahola means tent, and Aholaba means my tent is in her. Perhaps the names were intended to remind the people of the tabernacle, a tent where God met with his people, and a reminder of his covenant with them. At any rate, Ahola and Aholaba are described in the opening verses as being brazenly immoral. 
Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verses 2 and 3. Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Already when they were young, these women lived in a manner that was totally reprehensible. They gave away their bodies as prostitutes and sought gratification wherever it could be found. They shamelessly gave themselves to men who were not their husbands. We are living at a time in which unlawful sexual pleasure has been normalized, right? What God created to be beautiful within the covenant bonds of marriage has been so sadly perverted. Satan has very successfully deceived people into believing that it's just fine. Follow your heart, follow your desires, follow your emotions, do what feels good. Don't be restricted by archaic and puritanical ways of thinking. Play the field and have a good time. The hookup culture of our day suggests, especially to young people, that we need to say yes to the opportunity for casual sexual encounters. To use one another in casual encounters is no big deal. But those who give themselves to unlawful sexual gratification always discover that momentary sinful, sinful pleasures produce long-term pain. Why are so many today suffering from guilt, confusion, broken relationships, unwanted children, abortion, and sexually transmitted diseases? Because they have listened to the devil's lies, transgressed God's commands, forfeited the joys of marital faithfulness, and given up God's design for pure relationships and committed sexuality within the confines of marriage. Sexual pleasure comes from the pure mind of the Lord. Sexual pleasure comes from the pure mind of the Lord. Read the Song of Solomon. But the devil works hard to make people believe that it doesn't need to be within the boundaries that God designed. Do whatever satisfies your longings. Well, the two young sisters who are introduced here in our text did just that. With no regard for God and His law, they behaved promiscuously in their youth. Now in verse 4, the Lord goes on to identify these two evil women. Ahola is Samaria and Aholaba is Jerusalem. The two women are metaphorical representations of two cities, the capital, city, the, the capital of Israel in the north and the capital of Judah in the south. Verse 2 says that these two women were daughters of one mother. That is, Israel and Judah have a common origin as a unified nation. At one time, they dwelt together in Egypt, but already then, in their youth, they were unfaithful to God. They participated in the idolatrous worship of the Egyptians, false worship. Although they belonged to the Lord, they showed their affection for other gods. The Lord called it prostitution. 
They lived the life of a harlot and threw themselves into the arms of their Egyptian lovers. But still, despite their dishonorable history, God was merciful and gracious. He took them out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, gave them His law, entered into covenant with them, and cared for all their needs as a kind and faithful husband, even though their sins in the wilderness were many. And after the exodus from Egypt and the arrival in the promised land, the nation grew. Verse 4b, they were mine and they bore sons and daughters. They increased in number as God blessed them in the land. But even though they received numerous undeserved blessings from the Lord, they failed to remain faithful. Consider secondly, Ahola's infidelity. Ahola's infidelity. In verses 5 through 10, we have God's evaluation of the older sister, Samaria. Technically, the city of Samaria was younger than the city of Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was some 3,000 years older than Samaria. Samaria was founded by King Omri in the 9th century before Christ, whereas Jerusalem goes back another some 3,000 years. But since Samaria died first, it is described here as the older sister. Well, what is God's evaluation of the older sister? Follow along, please, at verse 5. Ahola played the harlot, even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Now, just to refresh your memory for a moment, you'll recall that after the death of Solomon, the nation of Judah was torn in two. Ten tribes made up the nation of Israel, and two tribes made up the nation of Judah. In the course of time, the city of Samaria became the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem remained the capital of Judah. Therefore, when you hear the name of Samaria and Jerusalem, you understand that as capitals, they represented the entire kingdom. Samaria means Israel, and Jerusalem means Judah. In verses 5 and following, we see that God's evaluation of the older sister, Samaria, is extremely negative. The disgraceful conduct of her youth in Egypt became very prominent in the land of Canaan. Samaria lusted after the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire became very impressive. They were wealthy, they were powerful, they were successful, and their way of life was very attractive. Samaria liked what she saw. Instead of being repulsed by the idolatry of Assyria and their ungodly conduct, Samaria was favorably impressed. She began to imitate the Assyrians to copy their ways. Look with me to verse 7. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted, with all their idols, she defiled herself. Verse 8 goes on to say that she never gave up the harlotry of her youth in Egypt. 
She worshipped false gods in Egypt, and she worshipped false gods in Canaan. The people lived in sin and adopted a corrupt lifestyle, both in Egypt and Canaan. Samaria was like a woman in love with what appeared to be a strong, handsome, charming man who was not her husband. Therefore, because of her harlotry, her adultery, her unfaithful ways, her true husband finally gave her what she wanted. He handed her over to her lovers. Ahola lusted after them, and God gave her what she wanted, only the result was not what she expected. Keep reading at verse 9. Therefore, I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. Verse 10, they uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, and slew her with a sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. Samaria was like a woman madly infatuated with a man who seemed to be charming, strong, and handsome. But once her husband gave her over to this man, she discovered to her horror that he was abusive, cruel, violent, and without genuine affection. Having received her desire, she discovered that the man for whom she lusted was a monstrous beast. He used her, abused her, took away her sons and daughters, and finally slew her with a sword. She became a byword among women. In the year 722, Samaria fell to the Assyrians. We read in 2 Kings 17 that in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria. They had walked in the ways of the nations, built high places, burned incense on the high places, set up sacred pillars and wooden images, rejected the true prophets, worshipped all the hosts of heaven, served Baal, burned their sons and daughters in the fire, practiced witchcraft, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, God was very angry. And He removed them from His sight, they were roughly and cruelly carried away to Assyria. Brothers and sisters, Ahola got what she wanted. But she did not achieve happiness. She received what she longed for, but it brought her into slavery. How often does this also happen today? Sometimes the Lord gives us what we ask for, but it leads to slavery and imprisonment. Sometimes the Lord grants us our desires and we become slaves of sin. The very things that we think will add pleasure to our lives, things that we are persuaded will increase our happiness and bring satisfaction, they are sometimes the very things that destroy us. Brothers and sisters, that is the nature of sin. That is the nature of sin. 
It always looks rewarding. But when we flirt with temptation, we find that sin soon plants its roots in our hearts and becomes our master. The destruction of Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, is a warning to us that sin always reaps its reward. You cannot ignore the word of God. You cannot be half-hearted in your love for the Lord. You cannot ignore the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ and expect to prosper. It's not going to work. God calls you to a life of holiness, a life of exclusive devotion to Him, a life that is separate from the world's priorities, a life that resists the world's soul-destroying lusts. When you look at your unbelieving neighbor and fellow worker and begin to envy them, their lifestyle, their way of doing things, their entertainment, their carefree spirit, their cavalier attitude to what God has forbidden. When you begin to envy them, when you begin to envy them, you will soon find yourself trapped and suffering under the consequences of sin. The older sister Ahola departed from the Word of God departed from her husband, turned to the attractions of the world, but in the end they stripped her naked took away her sons and daughters, and hacked her with the sword. People of God, the way of sin is ultimately the way of suffering. Remember, while sin may seem appealing, it proves to be a very cruel master. So that's God's evaluation of Samaria and Ahola's infidelity. Let's move on now to verses 11 to 35, in which God gives His evaluation of the younger sister, Aholaba's infidelity. Aholaba's infidelity. But before you look at these verses, I want to remind you that when Ezekiel prophesied, Jerusalem was still standing. Jerusalem and the nation of Judah were not yet destroyed. When Ezekiel's audience in Babylon heard the words of verses 5 through 10, perhaps they, they nodded their heads in approval. For years there had been rivalry between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Ever since the death of Solomon, there had been hostility between them. Therefore, when Ezekiel denounced Samaria and the northern kingdom of Israel in verses 5 through 10, perhaps the people of Judah appreciated his harsh words. They had no great love for the northern kingdom. Therefore, they would not have objected to Ezekiel's condemning statements. It's like when you're sitting in church and you hear the preacher pointing at all the errors of other churches and you sit back rather smug and you say to yourself, that's right, preach it, brother. Those churches are way off the mark. They've departed from the truth. You sit back and nod your head in approval. You're in a full agreement with what the preacher says. But then suppose the preacher went on and said, you think those churches are bad? You are even worse. You think those churches have strayed? You've strayed even further. You think those churches provoke the anger of God? You provoke His anger even worse. You think those churches are worthy of judgment? You deserve His judgment even more. Well, immediately the listeners are irritated and offended, right? 
It's easy to point the finger at others, but when the Word is applied to our own hearts and lives, it's much more difficult. Well, congregation, that's what it must have been like for the people of Judah who heard Ezekiel's message. When the Lord addressed and condemned Samaria, they could have sat back and said, that's right, amen. But what a shock it must have been when Ezekiel turned to them and said, you are even worse. You are more wicked than Samaria. Look with me, please, to verse 11. Verse 11. Now, although her sister Aholibah, Jerusalem, saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she, and in her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. The nation of Judah witnessed the destruction of the northern kingdom. They saw how Samaria was destroyed and the people led into captivity in 722. They saw the terrible suffering that Samaria endured. And yet, instead of repenting and turning to their loving husband, they continued to behave in the same fashion as Samaria. They continued to live as an unfaithful wife. They saw the judgment of God on Samaria, but they learned nothing from it. In the sight of God, Jerusalem had become a disgusting city. Having seen the destruction of Samaria, they should have been ashamed of themselves, repented of their evil ways, and cried out to God for forgiveness. But they did no such thing. Verse 12 says that Aholibah, Jerusalem, also lusted for the neighboring Assyrians. She lusted after the lover who destroyed her sister. Verse 14 says that Jerusalem also lusted after the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians. We read in verse 14 that she looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion. They greatly admired the superpower of Babylon. It seems that they even painted pictures of them on their walls. They made paintings of Babylonian soldiers, paintings that represented the great power of Babylon. Does it ever disturb you? Does it ever disturb you when young people from Christian homes who have received the sign of the covenant have posters of movie stars and pop stars on their bedroom walls? Why do they have them on the bedroom walls? Because they admire and think highly of them. The woman on the poster may live a very ungodly life, yet there she is on the bedroom wall in the home of a Christian. The man on the poster may live in open sin, but there he is on the bedroom wall. Should professing Christians admire such people and display them on the walls of their home? Should they be held in high esteem by those who profess to be children of God? Congregation, that's what Aholibah, Jerusalem, was doing. She admired the Babylonian superpower and showed her admiration by painting pictures of them on their wall. Verse 15 indicates that the pictures were rather impressive. The Babylonian soldiers were portrayed with belts around their waists, flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like captains. 
Verse 16 says that Aholibah lusted for them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Jerusalem became pro-Babylonian and made alliances with Babylon. And she failed to trust her true husband, the Lord God. She was impressed by the power of Babylon. And instead of relying on the Lord for joy, security, and victory, Jerusalem relied on the ungodly nation of Babylon. Notice the language that the Lord used to describe the relationship between Jerusalem and Babylon. Go to verse 17. This language makes you feel uncomfortable. It's meant to. Verse 17. Then the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their immorality, so she was defiled by them. The Lord used this obscene language of prostitution to describe the conduct of Jerusalem. Aholibah was a lustful, lewd, indecent, unfaithful woman. Instead of depending on the Lord alone and obeying His word, she looked for security in an ungodly and wicked nation. Jerusalem represented the church of the Old Testament, the church, the covenant people of God. The church was not trusting her Lord and Savior. The church had forsaken her God. Brothers and sisters, we are called today to examine ourselves to see if our hearts are drawn toward the world. Are we living before the Lord as a faithful bride? Or are we attracted to the impressive things of this fallen, God-hating world? Are we living by the Word of God? Or are we compromising with the principles of this world, a world that is driven by the prince of darkness? Where is our loyalty, our love, our trust, our devotion? What do we live for? What do we strive after? What do we find our greatest pleasure in? Do we live to please our husband, Jesus Christ? to glorify His holy name? Do we desire that His glory be displayed among the nations? Do we boast in the greatness and kindness of our husband and render to Him our complete and undivided loyalty? Do we live as a dedicated, loyal, pure bride in His sight? Aholibah was not pure, not committed, not faithful. She lost sight of the preciousness of the gospel and became even more vile than her adulterous sister, Samaria. Therefore, in verses 22 through 35, we read of God's punishment upon Aholibah, God's judgment. Follow along, please, at verse 22. 22. Therefore, Aholibah, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up your lovers against you from whom you have alienated yourself, and I will bring them against you from every side. Verse 24, And they shall come against you with chariots, wagons, and war horses with a horde of people. 
God said, your lovers will turn against you and come to destroy you. You want Babylon? I'll give you Babylon. But you will find that your lovers have no love at all. They will become like rapists, butchers, and murderers. With very graphic language, the Lord said in verse 25 that her lovers will mutilate her. They will cut off her nose and ears. They will take her sons and her daughters. Verse 26, go there, verse 26. They shall strip off her clothes and take away her beautiful jewelry. Her lovers will prove to be brutal, hateful, cruel, rapists, and murderers. Just imagine, congregation, a woman falling in love with a wonderful man. She thinks he's the greatest. He's just fantastic. She spends much time with him and comes to admire him greatly. But then one day she discovers that this wonderful man is not Mr. Wonderful at all. He uses her, beats her, robs her of her precious things, abuses her children, and leaves her naked and destitute. That is what happened to Samaria, and that is also what happened to Jerusalem. In verses 31 to 33, what did God say to Jerusalem? Let's read it, verse 31. You have walked in the way of your sister. Therefore, I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink of your sister's cup, the deep and wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn and held in derision. It contains much. Verse 33, you will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. Congregation Samaria and the northern kingdom were destroyed in 722 by the Assyrian armies. And now the Lord was telling Jerusalem and the southern kingdom that her days were numbered. In a very short time, the Babylonians will come with their chariots, wagons, and war horses. The Lord himself was sending them. He was sending them to destroy the city and to bring the people of Judah into captivity. When Ezekiel received these words of chapter 23, the people of Judah were still hoping that Jerusalem would survive, that Jerusalem would remain intact. The Lord said, not so, not so. You have forsaken me, and I am going to forsake you. You are going to share the fate of your sister Samaria. Verse 35 sums it up. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. What's the penalty for adultery? The penalty, according to the law of Moses, is death. 586, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar marched into Jerusalem. The city was destroyed, the temple was burned, and the people were led into captivity. Jerusalem was left naked and exposed. 
Her sins resulted in pain, not pleasure. Suffering, not satisfaction. Destruction, not deliverance. If only she had loved her husband. If only she remembered him. If only she had not cast him behind her back. The Song of Solomon describes the pure love and joy that Israel and Judah could have had. But they turned away. Deuteronomy 28 says, If you love and serve me, I will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Your enemies will be defeated before you. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. Judah could have been the greatest nation on earth. But she threw it all away because of her lovers, because of her adultery. Congregation, I ask you again, do you treasure the love of your husband? Jesus Christ has shown the greatest act of love by giving his life for the church. For his bride, he came into this world, lived among sinners, was nailed to a cross, and experienced the agony of hell for his bride. And now he calls you to a life of faithfulness. He doesn't want you to lust after other lovers. He doesn't want you to show affection for the unlawful delights of the world. He doesn't want you to forget about his love and cast him behind your back. He wants your undivided love and affection, your exclusive loyalty and commitment. He wants you to express your gratitude for that great salvation. He wants you to serve him, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. Congregation, in Ezekiel 23, the words prostitute or prostitution are used 14 times. And the word adultery is used five times to describe the sinfulness of Israel and Judah, how the Lord loathed their unfaithfulness, how it grieved him to observe his wayward bride. But think about it. By nature, isn't that exactly what we're like? Isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't that describe us? Whether in our thoughts or in our actions, whether literally or metaphorically. Like the many people condemned by the prophet Ezekiel, don't we also deserve the sentence of death? In our fallen state, can it not also be said of us, verse 35, you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. Scripture declares that there's only one way to be rescued. A price must be paid. Our debt must be canceled. 
One writer said, For me to be reclothed in Christ's righteousness, he had to be stripped naked. For me to be crowned with glory, he had to wear the crown of thorns. For me to live, he had to die. The violence I deserved fell on him. It is by his stripes that I am healed. The wrath to come is real. And if it did not fall on Jesus in my place, then I must bear it myself. Dear friends, do you believe that God's wrath has fallen on Jesus in your place? Have you put your faith in Him? If so, knowing what He did to redeem and purify a bride for Himself, may we today, by His grace, strive to be faithful. May we live as a grateful bride by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. In all our conduct and decisions in life, let us ask these questions. Does it meet the approval of my bridegroom? Does it, is it consistent with his character? Does it further my relationship with him? Does it honor the covenant that is between us? Brothers and sisters, may we be a people who long to be faithful. May we live each day as a thankful, joyful, loving, committed bride for the glory and honor of the bridegroom. Let us pray. Lord, we can only praise you once again for the one who was faithful. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to be stripped naked so that we may be clothed in his righteousness. Lord, these words that come to us may have been written many years ago, but still they, they come to us with power. We long to be a faithful, pure, holy bride. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ we are righteous, we are holy, we are pure. But it's our longing, our desire, not only to be righteous positionally, but also in practice. And so we pray that our lives may show gratitude for all that has been done for us. Lord, it's so easy to look at, at the world and begin to long after the world. And we see the world busy in enjoying sinful pleasures. And our fallen nature can long after that, even as was true of Samaria and Jerusalem. So, Lord, would you 
in your mercy. Show us our sin. Grant us repentance. By the work of your Spirit, would you create within us that determination to live in holiness as your bride is called to be. We look forward to the day when your bride will be completely pure and holy. Thank you that our Lord Jesus gave himself so that we may one day enjoy that wedding feast. But until that day, Lord, would you root out the evil from our lives, from our hearts, from our minds. May we be devoted to you as a faithful bride. And so receive our praises as we conclude. Cause us all to examine our lives. Use us here at Bethel to show forth the glory of Christ. May we be known as those who love the bridegroom and want our lives to display that. Oh God, we ask that you work that within us. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.